Last case. This is a 67-year-old white male who was successfully treated with mop chemotherapy and radiation for stage 3B mixillary Hodgkin's disease in 1974 to 75. So he was 33 years old at the initiation of therapy. He was diagnosed with stage 2A T1 N1 M0 large cell carcinoma of the right lower lobe on November 11, 1998, and had successful surgery with no post-op treatment given. On June 17, 2008, so 10 years later, a chest X-ray showed a 1 by 2 centimeter mass in the left upper lobe of the lung. CT was positive for no other evidence of disease, and a biopsy was done percutaneously, which showed adenocarcinoma. On July 1st, when I was writing this case up, the patient was going in for potential pre-op evaluation, including cardiac and pulmonary function testing. His left ventricular ejection fraction was 39% with a hypokinetic LV, and he was found to be having an acute MI at the time in the site, was taken to the cath lab, and had two stents placed without any problems. The pulmonologist, he had had his PFTs first, showed that there was not enough reserve for any type of surgery. Radiation therapy was not possible because the lesion was in the radiation port from 1975, and a treatment needs to be made besides watchful waiting. The patient and family have met with me and are waiting for our decision. What's his general condition? Now? He's fine. Actually, the funny part about it all is that he feels much better than he did with his stents. I mean, he actually is walking, and he said his mind cleared up. He said it was amazing. They (laughs) fixed my heart, and I'm thinking clearly. (laughs) And, you know, that's not unusual. He probably was having, you know, not enough blood going anywhere. Oh, projection fraction improve? It has. I don't remember. I didn't write it down at the time, but I'm sure that it has. I mean, he is on his medications and his ACE inhibitors and everything else, and he's just, he's perking along. He feels great. Ed? So, you know, again, fascinating, shows uh, long-term survival with various cancers, and now he's got his second one. This is an unlucky gentleman, you know, clearly. His third one. Yeah, and so both in the radiation field, I take it. Uh, It was the first one in the radiation field as well. Um, You know, I didn't really ask, but he got resected, and he didn't do badly, so I would assume that if it was, it wasn't a big deal, but this one definitely is. I mean, when you look, I mean, his x-ray has those straight lines, so, you know, and God doesn't make straight lines on chest x-rays, so you you didn't have to be a physician to know that this one was in the radiation port. Yeah, you know, it's interesting with iatrogenic effects downstream from early treatment, young in life, and that's why we don't take radiation lightly in young folks when we treat them. You know, I think this type of situation, obviously very unique, and this just looks like right now a T1 lesion. Is that correct? I'm saying I would have this person get a couple opinions from centers. I mean, if I saw this gentleman in clinic, I would be exploring every option, even of my most cavalier surgeon to see, because sometimes, you know what, you can do these things with surgery. Sometimes they might go, oh, RFA or something. What about RFA or cryo? You know, we're doing it on a study right now. There is a Agasog study, correct, looking at RFA versus these small peripheral tumors, you know, versus a surgical resection. And so that's a sort of following what the Japanese have done. You can find centers around places that will do RFA and anyone that you ask them to, whether that's the right thing or the wrong thing. We don't have that answer right now. Is there a problem or issue with RFA in a radiated field? Well, again, that's, I don't have a good answer for that question. It hasn't been studied that way. But like I said, you could probably find someone who would do it. So that's a little bit of caution. I'm not so concerned about the heart issues or anything. I think it helped him from what it sounds already mentally and probably physiologically. I would really 
want to consider this person for either some sort of fancy radiation. I don't think radiation is out of play, especially... Cyberknife or something like that. Cyberknife, proton, whatever, you know, I mean, you know, these are all things that can be looked at, as well as some sort of minimal invasive procedure with surgery of some sort. Have you got protons at your place? Oh, yes, we do. Sure. (laughs) I think everyone has heard our advertisements across the world, so... Is that mostly prostate or what... Prostate, they are doing it in lung right now. We're doing studies in lung, and people, I can tell you, with chemotherapy have tolerated it really well. I've kind of heard that, you know, it really doesn't necessarily that great. Well, again, it depends on who you talk to, but I think right now we're gathering information. Our radiotherapists make the determination of whether patients receive proton or photons. There probably isn't a lot of data to suggest that it's superior to photons, but if you can reduce side effects, which is the number one reason for the proton particle, then perhaps this might be a perfect type of case for that type of patient. But this is someone who could live another 10 years without a cancer. He's 67. I mean. Right. If he were to say to you, okay, give me a list of the top three, four places or people that I had to think about going to. I think not just people, but the groups are important, again, to discuss it among your peers. Because like I said, you can always find a surgeon or a radiotherapist or someone who'll do it. I think our place is fantastic. I think a place like Memorial Sloan Kettering would be another place to consider. You want to look for places, especially in this case, less so with a medical oncologist. That's probably the least important issue of this whole thing. Strong surgery, strong radiation centers. And I think seeking another opinion in this gentleman is extremely important just to hear some other options of capabilities that might be done. What do you think about that? I was expecting you to say, well, maybe we'll try Erlotinib or some kind of systemic therapy. The question is whether or not one should put him on Tarsiva. And I never even thought about radiation therapy or chemotherapy because I trust my radiation oncologist implicitly. I think he's phenomenal. And he actually did the radiation. This was one of his first patients he'd ever treated coming out of training. So he remembers him like, you know, you're you're crystal clear. And actually, he had the port films, which if you think about it, this is 33 years later. He had them because it was one of his first cases in Hodgkin's, and it was a cure. So he wanted to keep those teaching files of curative intent and the mop and the whole shebang. And he said no matter, even with their new therapies and the new machinery that they have, that he did not think that radiation was possible. I mean, the pulmonologist was adamant that he didn't have the pulmonary reserve for it, his internist who was a pulmonologist. So I will certainly discuss it with him if you'd like to go back. But I'm just laughing because when you said second opinion, I knew exactly where I would send. I want to hear, especially in these types of cases, no absolutely from my radiotherapist and no absolutely from my surgical group. And, you know, Garrett Walsh reflects on a case where, yeah, he presented at our tumor board where this was a young man with a thymoma that had recurred and recurred and recurred and had a cumulative dose to his chest of over 90 gray of radiation was an engineer had a whole had like textbook drawings in his file and they wanted to operate on him so and they actually needed to do some cardiovascular work too so they did it jointly with Baylor across the street and they were on the OR and he came back and he said you know it will never cease to amaze me just how different people are he was so impressed at how easily that tumor came out out of a 90 plus gray radiated field that it was actually easier than some of the ones that he's seen before Chuck? This is a peripheral lesion. I can't believe that there wouldn't be conformal radiation therapy that would be able to potentially cure this. If it's truly a stage one, I think he's potentially curable. I just can't believe that radiation couldn't be administered. I think it's a really great point, though. I learned a lot from this case and the idea of, you know, even though you trust your surgeon and radiation oncologist, still maybe think about sending them to somebody else. Maybe he's got more experience. I mean, I don't know, the thoracic surgeons that you deal with, 
Do they just do thoracic surgery, or are they doing all kinds? Well, of- the thoracic surgeon that I deal my oncology with went to a second-class academic institution called MD Anderson for his fellowship. <laughs> so he does every keep him. Though. Okay, I just, <laughs> <laughs> so I don't have to send him there for a second opinion. Uh, but in all seriousness, he does some heart, but he's mostly the thoracic. He actually came from Sinai, went down to MD Anderson for a fellowship, and then came out in practice. It's the same generational group. So he's been doing all of our cases, and so they know that if I send it to him. I'm really looking for him to crack the chest to do something. But I was really impressed also, I mean, thinking cobalt and things of the sort in the fields, but I mean, when you look at this guy's lungs, you could see that the lesion, there is no place, I mean, two-thirds of the lesion is superimposable because just of the way that they did the fields at that time were wide, you know, as opposed to what it is now. I mean, it was cobalt square. I mean, it was 1974. Isaac? What was the time interval between the surgery for the first lung cancer and... Ten years. About ten years. Ten years. Ten years. Different lobe. Right lower lobe, left upper lobe. And impossible to tell whether or not it's a different pathology, although one was large cell and this one is adeno. This was really a needle. You could just imagine the hand-holding that went on. We have a great interventionist radiologist in our hospital, even so saying, if you got a pneumothorax with everything going on, this was just... Craziness. It's very challenging with some of these folks who. I had more have trouble with the attending physicians allowing me, quote unquote, as the consultant to get a diagnosis because he was so worried about dropping this guy's lung and then, you know, essentially not being able to reinflate it. It's very challenging in these folks who have curable disease and extremely frustrating where you feel they have curative intent disease, but they're limited either by their prior treatment or their physiologic reserve. I mean, we encounter this in lung cancer, I think more so than a lot of the other cancers because we have patients with bad emphysema who we can't do anything on, whether it's radiation or surgery. They have bad hearts due to tobacco-related aspects or other things. So you do have these cases every now and then where they're just physiologically not able. It sounds like like this guy, again, we'd want to do xenon perfusion tests, you know, in his lungs to make sure we could see everything. And I would explore a proton center to see this might be an ideal candidate for a proton. Well, thank you. After this meeting, I went to the MD Anderson website and found a number of open trials for patients with mesothelioma, including a phase one study of desatinib and another on the combination of cisplatin, pemetrexed, and imatinib.